You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrgs.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Good morning. On this last day, this last Sunday of the year, are you ready for the fireworks tonight? <laughs> no, there's mixed reactions here. <laughs> if it's your first New Year's Eve in the Netherlands, be warned, okay? Stay inside. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a war zone out there. Really, be careful. So, hey, we're at the end of our series, our um, Advent series, and we've been looking at some of the names and some of the titles that, that were given to Jesus surrounding his, his, the birth story. And we've been looking at the title King and the title Savior and Emmanuel, God with us, God among us. And then on Christmas Eve, we sang carols and uh, we read the Christmas story and we lit our little lights to remember our, that, that God is the light in the, of the world. And then today we're going to look at Jesus as Lord. What a fitting way to close the year and to go into a new year. So one more time, let's, let's read part of the Christmas story. Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where's the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them and until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and mirth. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So today we look at Jesus as Lord, the title Lord. And although the title doesn't appear in this particular piece, I hope it makes sense when we get to the end of the sermon. So Lord is an interesting title, especially for us modern people, right? Especially if you're living here in the Netherlands. It's not really part of our everyday language. Not how we talk, not a concept that, uh, that's part of our modern day living. We don't go around calling each other Lord here. Not in the Netherlands, but in Great Britain, I guess they still use it. And uh, they still use it as a title, although I, I don't have the feeling it has the same downtown Abbey kind of vibes that it used to have. have. I mean, do you know that on the internet, for 100 euros, you can buy a square foot of land in Scotland, and with it comes the title of Lord or Lady, right? You can become a Lord or Lady. Just, just listen to, to, to this ad advertisement I read. Become the proud owner of your very own plot of land in the breathtaking wilderness of the kingdom of five. Your title packed with land enables you to receive the title of lord or lady so you can live your aristocratic fantasy and be treated with dignity and respect everywhere you go. Wow, how about that? Check it out. You can buy a little piece of land and get the title lord and dignity and respect. 
If I would spend this money, I can put on all my correspondence, Lord Johan Verboom. How's that? Hereby, Lord Johan Verboom would like to invite you as his dinner guest. Wow. Sounds impressive. Sounds fun. But if it's now available to all, the title Lord doesn't carry the same meaning as it used to, does it? We don't call Jesus Lord because he owned land, and definitely not because he owned land in Scotland. But why do we call him Lord? Steve looked at Jesus being king. Now, isn't the king much higher than Lord? I mean, if you look at Great Britain, you've got the king, he's even head of the church, and then you've got under that all kinds of lords. So why not just king of kings? That, that would be enough then, right? Well, let's look at the word Lord. It's the, it's the Greek word kurios that's used. We see it in Matthew 3, verse 3. John the baptizer speaks, and he says, I'm preparing the way for the Lord, making straight paths from him, for him, quoting Isaiah 40. And in Matthew 8, Jesus is visiting the house of a centurion, and the centurion says to him, Lord, I do not deserve to have you under my roof. It's the word kurios. Lord, it's somebody with the highest amount of power and authority. And this is what Jesus has because the Father has given it to him, right? Matthew 28, Jesus says, all, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. The Father has given it all to him. Jesus is the curios, one who has absolute ownership, one who has dominion over, one who has jurisdiction over. That's what kurios means. That's what Jesus is. So we, when we talk about king of kings and lord of lords, it's to show that Jesus has authority both over the earthly realm and the heavenly realm. All authority in both heaven and earth. So Lord might be more referring to his divine nature. Jesus is all-powerful. Jesus is called Lord, meaning people realize that he was God. Just like Thomas, after the resurrection, he, he saw Jesus, he looked at the wounds in his hands and in his sight, and he said, my Lord and my God. Jesus is God. Jesus has all authority. Now, the first few times in Matthew, when we see people calling Jesus Lord, it is coupled with the realization that he has power to heal. He has power to save. He has power to still the storm. All of them call out to the Lord for help because they recognize that Jesus has that power. He is the Lord. Now, sometimes I hear Christians say that we need to make Jesus Lord of our lives. And, I, and although I know what's meant, it also makes me cringe a little bit sometimes because we don't make Jesus Lord of our lives. God the Father has made him Lord of our lives. And not just of our lives, but of heaven and earth. He's already Lord. We don't need to make him that. But then by the nature of who he is and how he operates, how he rules, this undercover kind of way that we looked at when we talked about Jesus as Savior, we might not recognize him as Lord. Take the scripture of today. The Magi didn't find Jesus in the obvious place to look. They didn't find him at the royal court. They didn't find him with Herod. But they found him in a very ordinary place. Might not always be so obvious. It requires faith. It requires eyes to see. But Jesus is Lord. Whether we choose him to be so or not. And he invites us to follow him.
What a way to step into the new year. <laughs> Reminding ourselves and submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus in this coming year. Saying, Lord, you have ownership. You have absolute right. You have dominion over my life. And so my gift to you, as I remember the wise men bringing the gifts to you, is my life. At the start of the new year, I offer you my life. And as I declare Jesus as Lord, I remember that all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to him. So all authority the Father has, Jesus has. All, of, all the power the Father has, Jesus has. And, and this is my belief and my hope as I place my life in his hands and how I step into the new year. Now, that's, of course, a bit of a challenge for us. First of all, there's the fact that we want to be Lord of our lives. We want to have all power. We want to have all, all authority. My life belongs to me. I want to have dominion over it. I want to have absolute right of ownership. I want to make things happen. I want to change things. I want to fix things. I want to control things. I am Lord of my own life. And then, of course, there's the challenge that the idea that somebody has, has power and control over me makes me uncomfortable. The idea that someone else has decision-making power over my life, giving up control. And that's perhaps because we as humans often get it so wrong. We are given power and authority, and we tend to misuse it or abuse it. When given power, we might start lording it over people. We use power and authority for our own gain, for our own benefit. Human beings often cannot be trusted with power and authority. People with power and authority often don't have the best interests of us at heart. Yet when we look at Jesus, we see that he's a totally different kind of Lord. As we look at his life, as we look at his teaching, at his ministry, at his interaction with people in authority, and in interaction with people that are uh, marginalized or at the bottom of the ladder, we discover that Jesus can be trusted. Can be trusted with power and authority. So what does he do with his power and authority? He doesn't choose to build wealth and a powerful kingdom and buildings and armies. He doesn't build monuments to himself. He doesn't use it to dominate or manipulate. No, instead he blesses others. He uses his power and authority to serve, to encourage, to heal, to forgive, to restore, to welcome. He washes the feet of his followers. He gives his life dying on a cross so we can have life, so we can have freedom, so we can have forgiveness of sin. He does have the best interest of us at heart. And he filled his lordship in such a way that it carries the approval of the Father. In Philippians 2 we read, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus does a different thing. He serves. He's a serving Savior. He's a humble Lord. And this pleases the Father. And 
And he makes him Lord. He exalts him above everything else. And the same passage in Philippians tells us that our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. Do as I do. Serve as I serve. Love as I love. Absolute power. Absolutely humble. A serving Lord. A different Lord. What I love about the story of today is that the Magi studied the stars. They were knowledge seekers. They were truth seekers. They, they looked to the stars. And so the star of Bethlehem in this story, the star that, that was in the night sky that they followed, that led them to Jesus, God chose this brightest and, and, and shiniest star and the biggest star, and, and he put it in the sky because he knew it would catch their attention. It was designed for them. It was a personal invitation to them to come and meet the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Now, if you think about it, it seems so random. They are a strange choice of people to invite and to arrive at the, at the scene of the birth of Jesus because they were outsiders. They were foreigners. They were from a different religion. Yet God specifically beckons them. And that's surprising. Isn't the, the coming of the Messiah, the culmination of the history of the Jews. The whole Old Testament looking forward to His coming, all the prophecies, all the symbolism in the temple, the, the priesthood, the sacrifices, all these signposts pointing forward to the coming of the Messiah. But now that the Messiah is born, the first to recognize Him are Gentiles from the East. Important, learned people that have come to search him out, who, who saw and believed the signs they had seen and that were pointing them to the, to the arrival of this, of this uh, Messiah. And they've come to worship him. Why is Matthew telling it like this? I think he includes these wise men right from the start of the story to signal us that this is not a normal king. The borders of his kingdom will extend far beyond the borders of Israel. But the Jews were looking for a king to rule their nation. Matthew says this king is going to rule the world. Even beyond that, it will be much, much more inclusive. It will include heaven and earth. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to this little boy. Not just a king, but also a lord, more than a king even. King of kings, lord of lords. Now, looking at the Magi and the strange choice of people, let's, let's pause for a moment. I think most of us have a part of us that wonders if we're welcome at the table. Are we welcome in the family of God? That wonders, is Jesus for us? We wonder if we're good enough. Do we come from the right family? Do we have the right background? Do I know enough of my Bible? Perhaps you feel that there's something that disqualifies you from having an encounter with Jesus. This part of the story is for you. This reminder that the most strangest of people were uniquely invited and welcomed. God wanted them there. The strangest of people were welcomed by God. Even pursued, even targeted by God. Invited by God. Know that you are welcome. No matter how strange you are. They followed the star. 
And they welcomed and they acknowledged Jesus as Lord. And the Bible says they were overjoyed. And they worshipped him. And they felt compelled to open their treasure chest. And give him gold and frankincense and mirth. Gifts for a king. Expensive gifts. Now in Romans we read that Paul writes and suggests that we present our lives, our bodies, as living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God. As we recognize Jesus as Lord, as we come face to face with Him, with this serving Savior, this humble Lord, like the Magi, we worship Him. And as an act of worship, we give Him gifts, the most valuable gift that we have. We give Him our lives. And this includes all of our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our time, our talents, our wealth, everything. We recognize He is Lord, and all that is His anyway. And He has a plan on how we should use what He has given us, and how we should live with what He's given us. And this story gives us a kind of a step-by-step -step process on how to live with Jesus as Lord in our lives. And I, I like to leave that for you to reflect on as you enter the new year. First of all, we look, we search. Like the Magi, we keep our hearts and eyes and attitude open for the calls and signs that God places in our lives and how He beckons us. In the Christmas story, we see God using so many means to point to Jesus. There are prophecies, there are scriptures, there are dreams, there's an angel, there's a star, there are other people. If we pay attention, there are many signposts pointing us to Christ. The Magi, within their own world, their own belief system, see signs pointing them toward Christ. Pointing them toward the birth of a king. And there are signs outside of the faith, outside of the church, pointing to God. I mean, all of us, at some point, were outside of the faith, and someone told us about Christ. Or, or there were other means that led us to, to start searching. We still today hear of people getting dreams, people outside of the church hearing dreams, pointing them toward Jesus. Or people who look at nature and, 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 and think, wow, there must be a God, that, and that, that goes for me. I, was I grew up in a Christian family, but I turned my back on the church for a while. But then I looked at nature and the interconnectedness of it all, and I decided, or, or I concluded that there must be a creator. There are signs pointing to God, even if you don't believe yet. Signs that will set you on a search. Now, the Magi started searching, and somehow they knew that their deliverer, that their deliverer couldn't be found within their belief system, and they started their journey, their quest. They started searching. They had a star pointing the way, leading the way. What signposts are we following? Many of us look for hope within this world, right? We look for hope in power or politics or religion or in wealth or success or financial stability. And these things can become so much our focus that they become idols, little lords in our life. They rule our lives. They're things we put our hope in. Yet Jesus is Lord of Lords. We need not to look outside. Uh, uh, we need to look outside of these things, outside of the world, for our hope. The Magi had a star. We have the risen Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father. So we need to search. 
We need to look and then we need to respond. Jesus says, follow me. And having recognized him as Lord, they be follow. We found out what it means to follow. Eugene Peterson calls it a long obedience in the same direction. A beautiful description of being faithful. Living as Jesus requires of you. Whether or not you will see the results, whether or not you will see God's promises fulfilled. And I don't think obedience is so much measured in following rules and regulations and commandments as it is in imitating the example of our Lord. Constantly to seek to make decisions and to live in such a way as to please the Lord. So my Lord is a serving Savior. Then in joining Him in His mission, I will seek to serve others. Years ago, you had this slogan, right? What would Jesus do? You had these bracelets. It was on uh, marks on T-shirts, whatever. It was a bit commercialized. But it's exactly what we should be asking. To follow the Master, the Lord, we ask, what would He have done in this situation? What will bring most glory to Him? That's what we call discipleship. Seeking God's heart in prayer. Seeking God's heart in reading our Bible. And letting it shape our lives. You see, we believe the gospel should be lived out. The gospel is livable. Paul, myself, the elders, the staff, that's our hope. That's what we work toward, that, that the gospel get lived out in Crossroads. It's not enough that we announce the gospel. It's not enough that we explain it. It's not enough that we create enthusiasm for it. We want it lived out. Lived out on the streets, Lived out in our jobs, lived out in the bedrooms, lived out in the kitchen, lived out in classrooms, lived out through cancer, through divorce, lived out with our children in our marriages. To keep asking the question, in all life circumstances, what would Jesus say? How would Jesus act in my situation? And don't get me wrong, it's not just for you, it's I need to live it. And I know it's a formidable task and I keep failing at it. But I also know that I can keep coming back to Jesus and receive forgiveness. When I get it wrong again. And it's a long, slow, lifelong process. A, a long obedience in the same direction. And it's the direction that matters. Not where you are along the journey. So let's keep pointing each other in the right direction. And accept each other where we are along the journey. Okay, so we learned that we need to be looking, we need to be searching, and then we need to follow and obey and respond. The Magi went on a journey, and they came to this little boy, a little child, nothing special to look at, and they worshipped him. So after we, we s were seeking and responding, we worship. They opened their treasures, gift for a Gifts for a king. Worship involves our everything. They couldn't find their salvation in their wealth, and they gave it away to their true Savior. You see, worship is more than just singing songs on, the, on a Sunday. It's more than praying in your devotional time. It involves giving what we have, our treasures, at the disposal of the true Savior. It involves giving all we are, mind, soul, strength, our whole being, our complete self, 
and it involves changing our ways. You see, the Magi didn't go back to Herod. They didn't um, go back to the religious elite. After paying tribute to this boy, they changed their ways. They went back via a different route. The world hadn't changed that much since they, they met this little boy, the Lord. Yet they were changed forever. All the Magi saw was a small child, a poor family, not where you would expect a savior. Not where you would expect the Lord. Yet they had faith in the promise of this child. In Hebrews 11 we read, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Assurance about what we do not see. And that's exactly what these Magi had. They had confidence in what they were hoping for. The fulfillment of a promise that one day justice will be done. One day this child will rule the world in justice and righteousness. They discovered the divine in this boy. They recognized him as Lord. Unfathomable power expressed in powerlessness. Inexpressible presence choosing not to be present in the palace but in poverty. They found their Savior and Lord in the most unlikely of places, yet the most ordinary of places. And our Lord still tends to hang out with the poor and those who suffer from injustice, those who long for justice to be done. And He calls us all to be signposts for Him, announcing His kingdom, opening up our treasures, to be little tastes of heaven here on earth, to be his partners, to recognize him as Lord and to live that way. Jesus our Lord giving up his power, his wealth, to become a poor little child, a powerless child, all so we can have a restored relationship with him. As we search and as we seek and as we respond and follow and obey, may it lead to worship and recognition of the Lord. May it characterize our life in 2024. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you are our King, you are our Savior, you are our light, you are Emmanuel, God with us, God among us. You have absolute power. You've been given all authority in heaven and on earth, yet you chose to come and live among us and to give up your power and to serve. Instead of lording it over us, you chose to die for us. We are in awe of you, Lord. For 2024, we, we recognize you as Lord. We want to seek you. We want to follow you. We want to worship you. Indwell us with your spirit and work in our lives, we pray, so you may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.